Welcome back to another episode of the NES Experience. Thanks for tuning in and make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. This episode, we're going to be talking about overtraining. And before we do that, we're going to talk about uh, what Ned was doing this past weekend. Uh, would you like to fill us in on you were uh, helping out with a new business? Uh, new business. We got Mila. Uh, she wanted to do a lemonade stand. So, obviously, this nice X-Generation trait uh, was an excitement of mine. So, uh, yeah, we went through, and uh, it was interesting because you can look at it as a little 8-year-old doing a lemonade stand, or you could really break down all the components of it, and what you learn is it's a really good intro to business if you want to take it that direction which I ended up taking it in that direction. So, I mean, I'm a big chore guy. Like, I, you know, by the time I was five years old, I had chores. I had to dust. I had to, you know, pick up sticks. I had to dig garbage pits. It's Indiana. Don't don't ask me why, because it's probably incriminating. Not to the, like, crazy level. But uh, I did dusting, folded laundry, cleaned had to clean the toilets so for me it was just you become a part of the house and then then you get older and then you're able to develop and you you have like responsibilities and shit like little kid responsibilities um by nine this so part of this is Mila's lemonade stand part of it is being an entrepreneur and why I ended up choosing that path but you know by nine years old I was selling candy so I looked at the situation. I'm in fourth grade. Kids are going to the store, the school store. They're buying candy. I saw that it was marked up. Um, I was. I had a family who we always went out of town and kind of went where people didn't go. And we would drive to Maryville, Indiana. It was like 30 miles away. And we would go to the CVS or Hooks, whatever it was, this drugstore. And what I saw is there was like all this candy that was marked down and discounted 50 75 percent off so i wanted to get some skin in the game so i bought a bunch of candy on discount um i picked stuff that they had there and i undercut the school's prices i was selling it out of my pencil box at school and i there's things to be learned during that whole process so i was dealing candy at nine By the time I hit middle school, I was selling baseball cards, nicknamed Bargain Nettie. Um, I'm selling it out of my locker. I got my pricing down. I'm advertising. I had security or debt collection because you had, you know, what if the kids don't pay? Uh, You have to be able to handle that. And you have to have repeat customers and satisfied customers. And, you know, I would travel out, go to card shows, get things cheaper, and basically flip them. So I figure since she's eight, I mean, we need to get the ball rolling. So, you know, I think she had no idea what I what level I was going to take it to. But I took it to that level. So, you know, she was like, all right, uh, I got to name the business. And she's like, Mila and Lexi's Lemonade Stand. I'm like, oh, you want to put Lexi's name in the business? Do you want her to be a partner or do you want her to be an employee? And then... Mila was like, oh, what's the difference? And I was like, well, here's the problem, kid. You're going to go, if you go into business with Lexi, you guys become partners. And when you're partners, that means that you guys 
you know, split the profits, split the losses, but also you have to be able to come to agreements uh, and make decisions what's best for the business in order to make the business succeed, which means Lexi could do absolutely nothing and you could do all the work and uh, she still gets half the money. She's like, well, I definitely want her as an employee then. And I'm like, okay. So then she went to mommy and was like, oh, I'm going to be an employee. And then mommy, the daughter of a lawyer, was like, oh, you need the contract then. And I'm like, okay, Mila, let's write the contract. So we have to put in there. She got the uh, incredibly inflated $14 an hour. Thanks, Joe Biden. Uh, she was a two-hour shift, and she got Lexi was going to get twenty-eight dollars, but there was a terms in the in the contract, which means she had to uh, not complain before, during, and after. She had to actually help set up and clean up. So probably took it, you know, too far in depth. But the end result is, I mean, there's a lot of things to think about. It's lemonade. What are we going to do? Are we going to make real lemonade? Or are we going to go country time lemonade? She's like, well, I don't know. What should we do? And I'm, I'm like, well, here's the thing. The real lemonade, pain in the ass. You got to buy the lemons. You got to make the syrup, blah, blah, blah. I'm going through the whole process, but it tastes really good. And it's more expensive. Option two, country time. Add water. She's like, what? And I'm like, just add water, man. That's it. Stir it up. And you're good. And she's like, well, that's way easier. We should do that. I'm like, but it doesn't taste as good. But it's cheaper. So she had to make the decision. What are you picking? You going country time lemonade or are you making it yourself? You know you're going to make all the money on how cute you are anyways. Which one are you going with? I mean, I guess the, the capitalist in me would say country time. But you got to, uh, a part of me says, you know, sometimes you just got to get some lemons and give them a squeeze, you know. Uh, she opted to go with the real lemonade. So then we got to create a list and I'm like all right well your lemons are going to be you know $12 and your sugar is going to be $3 and I, we started adding the whole list of all the costs and I'm like and now you got to pay Lexi she's your employee $28 I'm like do you know how many cups of lemonade you got to sell just to carry Lexi's ass she's like how many I'm like solid 10 to 12 that's a lot of lemonade dad I'm like I know you better hope that she works out so um, opted with the real lemonade. You gotta, you have to promote it. So I ended up. She created a sign because she's an artist, and I'm and she the first one she gives me, and she's like, "What do you think?" And I'm like, "I mean, it's our. I don't want to piss in her Cheerios or anything, but I'm like, you can't spend five minutes on this sign. This is some. This is a big fucking deal right now." So I put it in my own words, and I'm like, "This is going to be the sign that everybody is going to see." So when you look at the letters, you have, right now you have them in dark blue on black, but what if you put them, you know, green? So I just, it was trying to teach her to start to think what we're trying to do. And she redid it and it looked great. So you could just put a five minute sign out there and then get away with the fact that you're cute and you're going to get a bunch of tips. Or you could actually, so I try to teach her, you know, the process traffic flow we're going over traffic flow i'm like all right where are we going to put it she's like in the front be right by where the street intersects and and i was like where are we going to get the customers from and she's like well there's the people walking their dogs and there's drive-by traffic and she was and i ended up putting a post on my gram 
So there was marketing and preparation and the financial component and just way too much that you should ever do with a little kid. Uh, but the end result is she, I thought, I'm like, she's going to sell like three glasses max. Like this is going to be an hour and a half of me drinking Miller lights at a faster rate than the amount of lemonades that are going to be sold. And I was just wrong. They killed it. They had a line at one point in time. They sold out. They sold out and out of the real shit. And then we're selling people the country time because that was our backup because I didn't get enough lemonade because I didn't think they'd sell 25 glasses of lemonade. So, uh, and the one we were worried about, Lexi, she was the, she was the outgoing comedian customer service representative and Mila was the financial and preparation because Lexi couldn't uh, Lexi is basically a walking health code violation so we couldn't let her handle anything she dropped like 47 cups she was like reaching in there and eating the ice and I'm like, no, man, you can't do that. So I'm trying to teach, like, sanitation to the six- and an eight-year-old. And I was like, I got to keep her away from anything that people touch. So probably picking her nose, eating her boogers while she's uh, getting the ice ready for the cups. So anyways, I thought that was mildly entertaining. Uh, guess how much money they made? Well, before, like, with their costs, I mean, it, it, I feel like it started maybe like a hundred dollars in the hole just to start a lemonade stand so maybe i'd say 75 dollars profit um so we're not going to work costs in because i'm ridiculous so i bought them an 80 dollar table 40 dollar uh these two glass for showing it because we had like the real lemonade in the cooler because it was sunny outside and what happens if you fill you know a whole thing of ice and lemonade together and it sits there in the sun it's going to dilute your product it's going to taste different like we took it literally to the level and she thought of that she's like the sun's going to melt the ice and then it's going to taste like when you left a soda or a juice out for you know with ice in it for a couple hours so the end result is yeah we won't talk about the cost but a lot of that was me being absolutely ridiculous but they're they grossed $150 in 90 minutes. That's pretty good. Uh, so how much was it for a glass of lemonade? We had two sizes, a uh, medium at $2 and a large at $3. Then when we realized that we were running out of lemonade, we scrapped the $3 lemonade, had to go to the $2 lemonades because the $3 ones, there was too much... Uh, too much stuff in them and we were running out so we had to make adjust adjustments on the fly that's real business did you tell mila maybe next time if you already crossed out the three dollar lemonade you can just use the sign again but only do two dollar lemonade so it looks like you sold a lot of lemonade already did you get into like that strategy aspect of of business just lying to the customers um no because there's a there's a great great question or comment hey uh now we're much like nes sports performance mila's lemonade stand is super honest so every time because it said it did say fresh lemonade but it didn't have a price on it 
but every time they came up, they would be like, hi, do you want some Country Time lemonade? It's not fresh. <laughs> People still bought it. There you go. That's just brutal honesty. Uh, did they make more tips when they switched to the Country Time, or how did how that tipping situation work? I think there was three people that gave them, they bought like a $2 glass and gave them 20 bucks. So one of them was my athlete. So he was like, here you go. Here's keep the change. And then it was, whoa, oh my God, he gave you $20. And then he was like, hey, can I have a piece of candy? Lexi was like, yeah, that's 25 cents. I'm like, Lexi, he gets, he gets unlimited candy and unlimited lemonade when you give when you pay 10, 10x. 10x gets you royal treatment. But she was trying to upsell them with some uh, some candy because they put candy out there too and free water. Sounds like they did a lot of good business there. Good for them. Yeah, we're gonna roll one out uh, next Sunday. We're talking about food. I got a fryer. Maybe start offering French fries. People are stishies like that. That people are standing out there and they're hungry. Like, we got to remember that. So next time, uh, when they buy their lemonade, you could let them wash it down with some uh, Dada's famous French fries. Yeah, that's uh, that actually sounds like a really great idea. Fries are delicious, especially when you're waiting for food or drinks. But I guess having a nice little break on your weekend is always a good thing to do. And that kind of gives us a nice little segue into our topic for today. And that's overtraining. Um, when I was figuring out the new podcast topic, we just recently went over, you know, injuries and why it's important to get them taken care of. And then as I was kind of reviewing that one, everything kind of went back to, you know, the reason why most of the time they're in that situation is because they're in an overtrained state. So I should have done the overtraining podcast first, but instead... We're going to be, uh, we're doing it today. So uh, I'm going to go over basically four bullet points. One, we're going to start to look at overtraining, what it is, you know, and why it happens. Um, you know, why it's important to take care of it when it's identified. It's part of training. Everybody gets overtrained. It's the ability to identify that you're overtrained and what are the things to do to get you back uh, to, to the point where that you were with the increase in performance. Uh, how to identify it. So there's signs and symptoms. The body is very smart. It gives you subtle, you know, smaller type changes, negative responses, uh, not being able to recover. And then if you ignore those, it escalates and it gives you more severe signs and symptoms. And then, you know, how to recover now you've identified you're overtrained. You fortunately haven't been hurt. Now we got to look at what can we do from a regeneration standpoint, active recovery to, you know, get ourselves back to where we need to be to prevent the injury and the decrease in performance from happening. So that's the one, two, three, four. I guess we'll go over first what it is. So what is overtraining? It's basically the staleness or plateauing or a decrease in performance within your training cycle. Training is a stressor. It's a good stressor. It can be a good stressor. It puts stress on your body the same way that losing a loved one or being in school and dealing with academics or girlfriend-boyfriend problems. All of these things are stressors, sickness. 
um, and your body has to overcome. Well, training is a stressor. Doing it the right way, you know, it, when you do train, it improves performance. Your body gets to the point where it has to recover. Um, when the body can't recover from the training stressors that you're creating, you end up, the end result is being in an overtrained state. So you have to be able to identify when that happens and then do, you know, the correct things to fix it. So why is it important to take care of? Um, a lot of negative things happen when you're in an overtrained state. So strength decreases. Uh, work, our goal is to improve strength, improve force, and what you get is a decrease in strength. You get a increase in cortisol levels. Cortisol levels store fat. So by doing too much and not recovering long-term, you're going to end up raising your cortisol levels and actually storing fat. We have linemen all the time. They come in, uh, big guys, you know, 300 pounds, and, you know, they spend excessive amounts of time doing cardio hours, and this is where you come in, and they, they, they're not moving the needle or they're gaining weight. And it doesn't make sense because they're restricting their diet and they're doing an ass load of cardiovascular work but they're seeing a negative response in their body fat composition and their overall weight. So this is where you step in. Aren't you one of those guys? Not a lineman, but lineman build. Yeah, definitely not a lineman, but I am one of those guys. I have talked about it before. I used to do, you know, three, four hour cardio sessions on the bike. Uh, I used to ride an actual, you know, not a stationary bike, a real bike. Also four or five hours a day sometimes. I do a lot of running, five miles a day. Uh, it wasn't great. It, it really blew, and I just restricted my diet a ton. Would get nosebleeds from working out when that happened. Just eat a bag of chips, you know. That's what my recovery was from overtraining. Salt. So that was fun. That was a good summer. So cortisol levels just going through the roof. So you're, you're basically setting your body up for fail because you're doing too much volume. Your body couldn't recover from that volume. So then it started sending you signs and symptoms, and then you ignored them. So it's like, all right, we'll, we'll just make you fat, just the same type of general fat. Or we'll slow your metabolism down so much that in order to maintain whatever you have, you have to do three hours. So, so cortisol levels are reason. Neuromuscular stabilization decreases. Your body's ability to dynamically stabilize uh, decreases when you're in an overtrained state. And that's where, for me, it's one of the most common things. That is where we get the increase of injury risk in the weight room. And that's what we don't want to have. So um, you want to try and prevent... I mean, you're, you're trying... We're training, we're working with these guys. They're running at full speed, they're competing, they're lifting maximal weight. Um, there's a lot going on there, and if you ignore all the things that are going on, that's when you tend to get your problems. In a training cycle, um, by the end of the third week, we found people start to get stale and overtrained, and that's why on the fourth week, every fourth week, we do a download week where we drop the volume in half, um, we keep the intensity high, or we'll do an unload week where we drop the volume in, in half and we decrease the amount of, we'll decrease the intensity 
along with all those things, we're working in regeneration, active recovery type stuff to help counterbalance that. So, you know, when you look at how do I identify it, what's going on? Um, and we're talking about the ambitious athlete who cares and likes to work hard. If you're lazy, here's if you're lazy, you're never overtrained because you never do enough to, to push your body to that point. But assuming you're the motivated athlete. So if you're a super motivated athlete and now you're unmotivated, that's a good sign that, you know, you're you're in an overtrained state. Um, tiredness, fatigue, if you notice yourself sleeping longer than you normally would, or if you find yourself sleeping less. I mean, that's more sympathetic versus parasympathetic nervous system that I'm not going to go into, but we'll just say, you know, sleep interruptions, um, headaches. These are all things that your body, it's like, hey, there's something wrong. Hey, you're going too hard. I'll give you a headache. I'll make it so you want to sleep more. So then you won't want to work out. I'll make you question whether you want to do your sport that you've been doing for 10 years. Maybe that'll scare you into, into putting the weights down and stop running twice a day and doing all this extra and going on the bike for three hours. So it is based, the body is smart in the sense that it's, it's not going to just shut you down immediately. It's going to start with minor, minor type things to give you a heads up. And then it's going to escalate to the point where it's like, you don't want to listen to me. How about an ACL tear, bitch? And then that obviously would be the ultimate type of thing is you get hurt. You, you want to keep going hard in the weight room? I'll blow out your back. That'll make you that. Now what are you going to do? So does that make sense? Yeah, no, it definitely does. You, you definitely don't want to get your back blown out. Never a great time. I also just want to say, for the record, uh, I, I was never really considered fat. I was always big-boned. Uh, that's okay, and I'm, I have a dad bod. So maybe they're, maybe they're similarly shaped. Um, so, you know, we know how to identify it. Uh, to give you an example... I mean, you want clear as day. Here's clear as day for you. So this is back in the Velocity Sports Performance Trumbull days. And we had, the kid was a 10-year-old hockey player, under 10 maybe, because at that time we trained. I told my kids last week, I was like, yeah, I used to train, you know, six, seven-year-olds. And they, they didn't believe me. But Ned was Johnny Dickface, you know, hey, kids, how are you? What'd you guys have for breakfast today? I was that guy. I was 25 years old and I was that guy. He was 9, 10 years old, played hockey four days a week. Um, then he had special instruction three days a week. Then his parents were training him on his own three days a week. And then he had velocity sports performance for three or four days a week. So, and we saw it was going on and we were like, you know, we tried to bring it up to the mom. And, oh, the kid's fine. The kid's fine. And to be in these 12 different things, you have to have a good amount of money. And if you're money, if you have a lot of money, you might be educated. And I don't understand why you can't see this. So the kid's in the lobby. I'm like, hey, you know, whatever the hell your name is, how's it going? And he's like, oh, it's good. He's like, look at this. And he pulls hair out of his head. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I'm like, what are you doing? How do, what, are you okay? She's like, yeah, my hair's falling out. And he was, like, giggling and ripping clobs of hair out of his head. And we went to the mother, and we were like, look, man, this is not good. I'm like, you need to shut it down. 
we had to fire the client. We had to fire them from Velocity Sports Performance because we didn't want to get DCF. Is that what it's called? DCF? Department of Child Shit? Yeah, it's, it's definitely Department of Child Shit. Anyways, we, we were worried about the legal, legal ramifications if something worse happened to this kid. So we ended up firing him. So that's one example of, you know, how bad it can get. And then the second one, we had a tennis player from, I won't even say the school, Fairfield County. And uh, they were, you know, well off, educated, played tennis, whole bunch of tennis. And then doing the velocity training, and then his his performance was going up, it was going up, and then all of a sudden performance started going down. And then we start to go into, you know, what does your week look like? And we start breaking it down, and we're like, you're overtrained. Let's just shut it down for a couple of weeks. We'll do a whole bunch of regen stuff. We'll back off stretching, mobility, tissue work, you know, that type of stuff. And the dad was like, no, go, take him hard, gotta go, gotta go, he's fine. Ignored that, ignored that, ignored that, ignored that. And then now the kid, I'm like, I'm like blank and blank. I'll say his name and you can bleep it out. So I said, I said, looks like you didn't sleep last night, buddy. And he's like, yeah, no, I got like, I got like an hour of sleep. I'm like, oh, what happened? He's like, I just can't sleep. And the kid was like riding on one to three hours of sleep for like five days straight. And I go to the dad, I'm like, this is because he's, so I'm, I'm printing out primary research, various research articles, highlighting it. And I show him all this paperwork. No, my kid's fine. My kid's fine. I'm like, what the hell? Are you fucking kidding me right now? So he puts the kid on prescription, uh, sleep medication. And then we had to step in and we were like, okay, you're not allowed to train here for a month. So we had to, they weren't terminated. But they, they, we literally had to force them not to come in. And you could probably guess in 30 days, he's off the sleep medication and he's back to normal. So they, the one, they finally shut it down for a month, us and tennis, and within 30 days, everything went back to normal. So that's another severe overtraining case. And then there's, you know, hundreds of them in between. So... Yeah, no, I actually, I got a, uh, an overtraining, uh, story as well. I guess I played a little golf when I was a kid with my dad and, uh, another dad and his son who was maybe like eight or nine at the time joined us. And I was 14, still just trying to figure out how to play golf. Still am, but the kid was like a child prodigy and we played this par three and you know he'd hit a bad shot and he'd freak out it was it was crazy it was like watching you know just a, a mini child who's on the thinks he's on the PGA tour well he definitely you could tell right there he was kind of getting overtrained a little bit you know no 8 9 year old should be that obsessed with doing well in golf unless you're like actually Tiger Woods and this kid wasn't. Uh, yeah, so the kid allegedly killed his dad because of being severely overtrained. And he just kind of snapped allegedly one day. And uh, yeah, boom. So 
overtraining serious. You really don't want to mess around with it. It's not a great time. It's actually funny, too, how you're like, oh, that kid wasn't, um, you know, able to sleep. I also experienced that, just like the insomnia. And, yeah, it's not super fun. You just go for a few days or, like, a week or so, and you're just like, ah, I can only sleep a couple hours. Um, well, I guess I've been corrected. So, like, overtraining can literally lead to death of someone. Creepy. Um, all right, so we don't want anybody to die, so let's talk about what we can do uh, to not get into that get to that level. Uh, nutritionally important. So when you look at amino acids, they help keep the body in a positive nitrogen balance or an anabolic um, building type balance. You know, whey protein, fast absorbing protein after lifting, uh, that helps with, protein synthesis and speeding up recovery time, uh, stretching, mobility work. So on that fourth week, what I'm doing is I'm replacing main weight-bearing, heavy joint loading lifts with mobility and stretching, uh, tissue work. So we do a lot of active release stuff and yoga, which is great for uh, repairing the central nervous system because your brain can get overtrained also, not just your body. It's a, it could be one, the other, or both. Um, and then foam rolling, we have hyperbolts. We have we do body tempering. So if you ever watch us with the big 120-pound, it looks like a foam roll, but it's 120 pounds. It's uh, basically a foam roll on steroids, that one trip up and down your body, and it feels like you've been on a foam roll for 15, 20 minutes. So we'll do those things cryo so i'm a big contrast shower guy i tell all my guys you know the night before competition uh two minutes hot in the shower two minutes cold in the shower creates a blood flush or a blood pump um it helps flush out metabolic waste and toxins helps speed up recovery time and has all the benefits of hot and all the benefits of cold so we'll do that pool mobility so we just had pool mobility at my house a couple weeks ago so download weeks sometimes we'll go into the pool and do a pool workout that helps with uh, cns reactivation but also water is therapeutic in general makes people feel better we're able to take them through you know dynamic activities but it's only loading 30 percent of their joints so i can have them do max effort jumps but instead of loading you know a hundred or multiple times your body weight uh the water because of the resistance you know cuts down you know a high percentage so we're able to get the force and and power benefits of you know jumping and doing power but when it comes to the loading you know we don't have to worry about that and then foot ice baths uh, full body ice baths we don't do those much anymore I used to be an all cold guy very common question what's better cold or hot the answer is hot so cold slows down recovery time. Ice is only good for pain management. So if you if your knee hurts after basketball and you and you want to put ice, just know that the ice isn't you know reducing the inflammation a lot, and it's not gonna make it so it feels better. It's just gonna numb everything, reduce blood flow, and reduce how much it hurts short term. So it's important after two or three days that you flip the heat. Twenty minutes on, twenty minutes off. But yes, heat's good, not saunas. Saunas just dehydrate you. Being dehydrated or being hydrated is very important in the whole process. And being dehydrate, 
dehydrated uh, doesn't help. So the problem with saunas are it's dry heat, 110, 120, I don't know how hot it is in there. And uh, the heat's good, but unless you're killing a gallon of water, you know, afterwards, you kind of got to watch out for that. So those are some things you can do uh, and that we're always doing. So we're, you know, we're, we're practicing regeneration from the time that you wake up um, before our workouts, during our workouts, after our workouts, through our meals at home, extra added tissue and mobility. Your highest level guys are not just going in for a 90-minute workout three days a week. They are, and girls, uh, they are spending a lot of time. LeBron James spends $2 million, a million or $2 million a year on his body, and it's not all training it and breaking it down. So, and they show videos, and I don't even like LeBron James. We all know Jordan's better. Uh, but one thing he does, I mean, that's how you play to the level that he's playing at his age. Yes, technology is part of it, but, you know, it's everything else that he's doing. He is maximizing his genetic potential and recovering his body exactly the way that you should. And that's why he's been able to get the results that he's gotten for such a long time. And why people aren't paying attention to that uh, and trying to emulate that component is beyond me. Yeah, if you really do look at all the top-level guys in their sport, they're just doing a ton of recovery, a ton of you know mobility stuff just to keep their bodies healthy, a lot of prehab. I know prehab's a big emphasis when... Uh, when I was in the gym with you guys there. So other than those things, is there anything else with overtraining uh, that you want to touch on? Just people need to understand that you can't go hard all the time. Your body, if, if everybody could always get stronger every week, everybody would be, walk around and be thing from the Fantastic Four. So a lot of my athletes that I get in and my coaches and my interns – one of the first things we do is we, we it's decreasing the amount of total volume in an activity that you're doing. And you're going to get more of a benefit from doing that than to be trying to ride through it. It's, I mean, I'm in a summer of, you know, you're competing, they're trying to balance competing and training, and the ever people are playing too much baseball, they're playing too many sports. So all of these sports, their body just can't keep up. So, and when your body can't keep up and recover, we're getting more hamstring, back issues, um, just these little, these little tweaks, groin, um, and a lot of it is, is, is preventative and unnecessary. But it's, it's a tough balance because at the same time, the way that the, the AAUs and the summer baseball, the schedule, it's like they're already playing they've been playing since March, April, May, June. Now we're in now then you they go through a more intensive schedule where they're playing, you know, four or six games on a weekend. And now we're I mean, now we're in August and they're still playing and they're gonna continue to play and they shouldn't play for the most part. Um, but using baseball specifically, like they're all going into fall ball. And these kids are now getting to the point where they never shut their arm down and it's causing problems. So before now, you're pitching from March until the end of October, and then you're part of this summer baseball 
gauntlet where you got to bill people every month. And then before you know it, you know, they're in there, you're pitching again in November and, oh, got to get your arm ready for March. And you just see less and less. You know, that's an example from a baseball perspective in football. If you look at all the guys that I prepared for their high school, um, prep school combines, and, and you can graph it. We, we plot and bullet point everything. So you see, you know, I'll pick one kid's 40. So first time that he comes in, you know, it's a 4.82. Or I had him at a 4.88. The first one was a 4.82. Then he went 4.79. He went 4.77. He went 4.72. I can't use the thing. I can't use the screen anymore because I can't go farther south. And then he went to a 4.66. He was at his peak. And this was probably six or seven at this point in time combine workouts. And then, you know, he get so he's as low as whatever, four six two, four six four, then four six eight, four seven one, four seven three. That's your body showing you. We're not changing anything. I mean, we're we were trying to counterbalance it with like really t- taking it off in the weight room, doing more recovery. We were doing everything that we could. They were getting massages. They were getting treatment. They were getting. Um, they were coming in after these combines, before these combines. Um, and we were basically the the getting stronger, more explosive, but that was all done. So my football players peaked by really May first, and then they have to sustain all this. And you can't control all the camp dates. And and there's you know do I need to go to this and I need to go to that before you know it, you're just going through, and you're killing your body over and over and over and over again. And you know a lot of the times you have to ride through and do it because of the situation you're trying to get looks you're trying to get offers it's your junior year um because everybody typically people aren't doing what we say on the these podcasts we're starting training as a freshman and doing slow builds and having a whole bunch of time and actually specializing in the sport to be able to have more time to prepare um even when you're doing all those things you know you're running into these issues just think if you come off of a you know, basketball season, and then you go play baseball, and then you play summer baseball, there's no recovery. And that's why when you look at, ooh, we're back to multi-sport athletes. When you look at these multi-sport athletes, they're all getting hurt because their body is dying for recovery, dying for time off. And it's like, okay, I'll tear your meniscus. I'll tear your ACL. I'll blow your back out. I'll give you a torn labrum, UCL. How about that? How's that taste? 14 months. Boom. Now you can't do shit. Can't even wipe your ass. So it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to manage. And that's, you know, it's really tough. This summer has been one of the most challenging ones um, as far as working through that. But uh, we're getting there. We're doing it. Yeah, I guess the work just keeps continuing. So it is what it is. Uh, recovery in my opinion, always was the best part of the lifting program. So if you really don't like it, I I don't get it. It's just a good day. Everything seems better. You know, I mean, obviously max day is always great too, but it's just a good day. You feel, try and feel healthy. You got to enjoy it. It's a good thing. My athletes love it. So, and partially because they're easier workouts, but they're different. It's a good change of stimulus. And when they, we, when you work so hard for three weeks, two and a half weeks, like 
your body needs it. And a lot of that is teaching our athletes to, I'm on a date, and this goes back to my remote training bash, which I don't even think we've done that one yet, but, you know, that's why I'm so anti that uh, remote training, because you're not talking to anybody on the other side. An athlete comes into my place, and I do the checklist. How's A? How's B? How's C? How's your back? How's your knees? How do you feel? How sore did you get from the last workout? How do you feel, you know, within this training cycle? It's the, the beginning of, you know, it's, we know that the second week of training, um, towards the end of the second week, that's when we get our PRs and our best lifts. We plan it to try and PR literally within that three or four day window. And then a lot of the other time is backing off and modifying, you know, everything is looked at from a workout to workout basis. So you have to be, you know, like, of course, they did heavy Bulgarians. It hurts when they sit on the toilet. I can't come back on the next workout with, you know, heavy deadlifts or heavy back squat. So that's why we're alternating pushes and pulls, and we're modifying. I write a plan every day. Every day the, the plan is custom. And even with the custom plan day-to-day, once I get in there, I'm making adjustments based off of the things that they're telling me and how they feel. Because if the, I just care about the end result. And because I have such good athletes and they work so hard, I don't have to worry about somebody being like, oh, yeah, I need a regen day or I need to modify my legs because I'm tired. I don't usually get that problem because I watch them and how hard they work. Um, and we just had a, a, I've had a lot of success by creating a plan and then changing once they get in there and I evaluate their mood state, physiologically, how they feel, psychologically, how they are how they're acting. Um, some athletes have a hard time identifying it, and some athletes, you know, the longer you're with me and I talk you through the cycles and how you should feel going through a periodized program and when to peak and and when you should be coming off that peak and when you should wind down or ramp down your training and decreasing the volume Um, and part of that is getting to know your athlete and knowing what are they doing when they're not in there? Are they going to the gym and they're doing, are they doing extra stuff? Is their sport coach making them do more? So we can't control what the sport coach tells them to do necessarily. All we can do on our end is make the appropriate adjustments to get through the sometimes too much stuff that they do. So, uh, I think that's probably going to do it for this episode of the NES Experience. We appreciate you tuning in and listening to us, and we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>